Welcome once again to the Wide Teams Podcast, the podcast for geographically dispersed teams and remote workers, located on the web at wideteams.com and on Twitter at Wide Teams. This is episode 34. I'm your host, Avdi Grimm. My guest in this episode is Ron Evans of the Hybrid Group, a software consultancy with a geographically dispersed team. This conversation covered a huge amount of ground, things like using Kanban for project management, how developing seemingly silly customs can help build the culture of a dispersed team, remote pair programming and when to do it, Ron's philosophy of investing in people rather than in infrastructure, the Kids Ruby project, which introduces children to programming. There's really no summarizing this interview. You'll just have to listen to it for yourself. Hey, this is Avdi Grimm with WideTeams.com, and I am talking today with Ron Evans. Ron, thank you for joining me. Avdi, thank you so much for having me. So uh, to get us started, uh, tell tell me a little bit about who you are, um, where you're located, and what you're working on. Sure. Well, again, my name is Ron Evans, uh, more importantly, Dead Program on Twitter, and I am the ringleader of the hybrid group. We are a development company based in Los Angeles, but we have developers in five countries and four different time zones, uh, speaking in four different languages. So Hmm. we're a lot different than many of the companies that we encounter. All right. So what are those, what are those countries and what are those languages? Well, we primarily work, um, with comp developers in Latin America. We have a development team in Mexico and another one in Colombia, mm-hmm. as well as developers in uh, the Dominican Republic and Brazil. But we all communicate typically in English, although we'll sometimes go into Espanol just for fun. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you're a software developer and you do not have fluency in English, you're at a significant disadvantage. I don't even think that exists. Mm-hmm. That's the lingua franca of the software development world. And sometimes the English is a little peculiar. Uh, when a Polish person's blogging in English, sometimes it's a little different than someone from the UK. But uh, but we communicate quite well. Uh, we spend a lot of time thinking about communication and communicating. Mm-hmm. So uh, one of the things that we do is we are, because we're in several different time zones, it's very important for us to both have synchronous Real-time kind of communication. We use Skype extensively. Mm-hmm. We spend, uh, we create a Skype chat room for each client project that we work on. Okay. Just the kind of projects that we work on. Typically, some people might call it maintenance, but we call it sustainable development. We're usually brought in when the project's already underway, and we take over an existing code base. So it's a lot harder probably the new development requires a much better ability to read code and to understand what's already happening. Mm-hmm. So this is something that's really important about a collaborative environment where people aren't in the same place is you can't wave your arms and expect something to happen. Sure. So we have a combination of real-time communication. Again, we create a Skype chat room for each client. Often we'll invite the client to participate in that chat room. One of the things about being a consultancy is that transparency is essential. You don't have the benefit of the client seeing you come marching in every morning into their office. Of course, that's also a benefit because you can be working on their project in a lot more focused manner. Also, you can bring resources to bear that you might not be able to get all in one place. I mean, San Francisco is a wonderful city, but it's very, very difficult to find developers there who have the particular knowledge that you need because they're probably all already working at Twitter or somewhere like that. So, right. So there's a, 
a real benefit to the kinds of expertise that you bring together. But it's not all about real-time communication only. This is an important thing is that attention is something you need to attenuate. You know, all the distractions that take place with teams that are co-located in the same room, you know, if one person goes off and starts goofing around, everyone's going to have to goof around right then. And if you were just in a serious flow state doing some really deep concentration on some remarkable new ranking algorithm, right as the person hit you in the back of the head with the Nerf weapon. <laughs> so, you know, so clearly there are times when you need to eliminate distractions, and there's others when you need to be more collaborative. So being extreme, I guess we see extremes too often. Mm-hmm. Teams say we have to all be in one great big pile of developers in one room together. Or they say, I need to be locked away in my own cave. Please don't bother me. Mm-hmm. And we think both of those extremes don't really work. You need to choose the right frame of reference for the task that you're doing. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's real time using Skype. We use Skype for both instant messaging as well as for uh, speaking to each other. Mm-hmm. We use a single system for that just because it's a lot easier so that you don't have too many different tools that you need to use. Sure. We also use asynchronous communication like email, mm-hmm. for example. I know, email, go figure. It's a cliche. <laughs> but it can work. Sometimes you don't want to be pestered with links of cool development stuff. Mm-hmm. You just want to check your email once or twice a day for that sort of thing. You know, so it's all about knowing the moderation that you need to have to use any particular set of tools. We also have, uh, we use a lot of different project management tools. Our clients will often be using some system already. In fact, we have an open source project we created called Ticketmaster, which is a universal API for project management and ticket tracking systems. So we uh, have some tools that we've built for us as developers to be able to get into sort of a standardized workflow regardless of what tool the client is using to manage their project. Uh, We've actually built a whole product around that called Clutch, which is a universal feed which allows you to track all of the different projects, all the different commits to the Git repositories and everything, and it has some visualizations as well, just that Mm -hmm. way you can answer that all-important question, what's going on right now? We have uh, over 25 developers working on our team currently. So That's what I was going to ask you next. I was wondering what the, the size of your team is right now. So, yeah, we're a pretty good size for uh, this community, and we typically run anywhere from a half a dozen or more client engagements simultaneously. So mm. uh, we have a definite need to know what's happening right this minute. In addition... Um, we also use Kanban mm-hmm. uh, whenever we can. Or we use it internally, which is uh, Kanban is the Japanese word for billboard, which is every agile project management board you've ever seen on the wall in an office is, in a sense, a sort of Kanban. But also Kanban with a capital K has become a sort of project management philosophy, like a very lean version of Scrum. The differences with Kanban is it focuses on limiting the amount of work in progress. Mm-hmm. It, it takes a lot of its philosophy from the queuing theory. We have a lot of knowledge about the mathematics of queuing from telecommunications and also from assembly lines in real-world factories. So, in fact, Kanban takes, originates from Toyota's just-in-time manufacturing that they cleaned America's clock in the 70s with. And a lot of those amazing lessons that have been learned in terms of how to be more efficient with allocation of resources. For example, you cannot allocate 100% of your development capacity when planning. Mm -hmm. Because when you hit a transient, suddenly something takes longer than you expect and it throws off your whole schedule because you have already allocated 100% of capacity. Right. Yeah, that's the old joke, you know, 110% effort being (laughs) as we speak. Mm Mm-hmm. So um, so we try to focus a lot on visibility of current status, mm-hmm. since that is a lot more important than predicting this imaginary future 
rather than trying to figure out exactly what time the ship is going to get into the harbor, we spend a lot more time thinking about how do we steer and avoid reefs that suddenly come up. And and you've you've actually created a um, a product for to to help manage in that way, right? Yes, uh, we were looking around for something which was a very very simple online Kanban since we're a distributed team and we didn't have whiteboard in a single office. We took a look around and everything we found was actually did too much. It was too complex. So we ended up creating our own tool called Kanban Pad. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like is to an online Kanban what Etherpad was to online word processing. You just go to it and start using it. No registration or sign up required. We also have some organizational features we've added uh, to make it a little bit better for larger teams or for multiple projects. And so we've really, again, been following our own need. And it, it ties in, I think there's been a meme going around recently about, um, you know, your crappy services company, I believe was the title from Mark Suster's blog post. And, uh, you know, I didn't take it wrong. You know, call me any name you want. That's fine. You know, but I thought some of his points were interesting. One of them was a lot of consultancies are really product companies in disguise. Hmm. They really want to develop a product and they're sort of slumming in this consulting world. <laughs> and right. uh, I don't like that attitude. You know, mm-hmm. why do you got to hate on consulting? That's yeah. my response. I mean, hey, you know, if you are consulting because you have nothing better to do, so, you know, you're doing a great disservice to your clients. Right. You know, if you don't really care about what your client is doing as a consultant, you ought not to be consulting for them because you're not helping them in the long term and probably not helping yourself in a world where reputation currency is fungible. Mm-hmm. I mean, your reputation, especially for distributed teams, you don't have a big office with a shiny building and the big name on the front. So what does give you that competitive edge? It's caring. You know, right. And we don't care because we get paid. We get paid because we care. Sure. Sometimes we'll talk ourselves out of work. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a adage in sales that says, don't mind the customer's money. We completely disagree with that philosophy. We think you better treat your client like you wish to be treated and look after them like it's in your own interest to do so. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't care to that extent, you don't really stand out and you're not really doing the job that you should be doing. Yeah. yeah. So the products that we've developed are ones that we needed ourselves as a part of our doing of service for clients. Mm-hmm. We try not to be just, we're not really just a company. We're more like a state of mind. We're more like a philosophy. We're like an experimental laboratory and workflow Mm-hmm. where we're constantly looking at how can we make things better and what can we learn. We don't really care where it comes from. If it comes from us or someone else, it's really more about how can we continuously improve as a provider of service. And so part of that is the culture that evolves. It's hard to have a culture when you're remote, I have been told. <laughs> and I think that that can be true. Yeah. Well, there is definitely something to be said for physicality. So in many cases, a lot of our teams tend to congregate around certain geographic centers where um, we have some opportunities to co-work together. In Los Angeles, we co-work frequently at Coloft in Santa Monica, Uh at Blank Spaces in the Wilshire area, which is also where the L.A. Ruby Hack Night takes place each week. Mm Mm-hmm. We're fortunate because we're in a large city, so there's a very large community of other developers to interact with. And so that's an important thing is if you feel geographically isolated, you'll, in order to have that primate FaceTime, you need to work a lot harder at it. Mm-hmm. Because we have congregated around certain geographic centers, it's a lot easier for us to have a hybrid, if you will, of physical time. But we find that the physical time is not usually spent parent programming, which we do very nicely using 
a variety of online tools. Mm-hmm. It's really typically spent more in the squishy human characteristic side of knowing each other just a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Going out for drinks or for dinner or hanging out and just talking about non-work related geek things. You know, that's, but the thing that's interesting about a distributed culture, to get back to that, the thing that we found is just by having certain streams of communication, just by certain customs that individuals would do. For example, I started a silly thing called the song of the day because we love music and a lot of the work that we do, we think in terms of being like a jazz combo where different people are interlocked melodies and some people are laying back and others are soloing and then vice versa. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not about you jamming all the time, turn it up to 11. Mm -hmm. It's definitely not about that. But so we started this thing song of the day just because my brain thinks musically and whenever I would have a musical reference. I would not really need to paste a link to some YouTube video with a song about mm-hmm. it. it turned into to the song of the day. Suddenly, everyone was doing song of the day mm-hmm. for themselves with a different song, just expressing, you know, here's how I feel today, mm-hmm. or here's what I'm thinking today, in a very subtle, you know, here's my emotional state of the day, mm-hmm. auditory emoticon, if you will. And and you you post those on your uh, your Skype chat rooms. Yeah, we have a central. Skype chat room for mm-hmm. everybody. And we also will sometimes use uh, Yammer mm-hmm. just because it's a little bit less distracting than a constant barrage of information. Again, it's about what information you choose to ignore is how much focus you can apply to any one particular thing. Mm-hmm. So it's knowing when to, how to phase back and forth between a state of total concentration on the team and a state of total concentration on an individual task and mixing between those two. But some of the other customs that we started were an evolution of a combination of being in different time zones and and different schedules. Some people get up really, really early. Others stay up really, really late. As a result, actually, we have development going on often 24 hours a day, just Mm -hmm. because even though we're all in the same hemisphere. But we started this custom that is called P-B-E-O-D, production by end of day. And it's exactly what it sounds like. Like, you are responsible collectively to push some code into production by end of day. <clears throat> this is and not that's, easy. That's by the end of your personal day, or do you have kind of a, a universal well, end of day? It, well, it has to be a collective end of day. Mm-hmm. If you are working on interlocking features... Right. So there is a need to communicate collectively because some people, it means you can't just jet out, like commit my code and run. Right. That doesn't work, which is, again, a part of you might feel isolated because you're working at home by yourself physically, but you're very connected to the rest of the team. And one of the extensions of the production by end of day custom is we have a rotating deploy master. It'll be a different person on the team each day. And there's two reasons for this. One is it's not a burden of the last person who's always sweeping up the code. Mm-hmm. But that really creates even more of a collective consciousness of, wow, I really have to watch my programming buddies' backs because they're watching mine. Because they're going to be the deploy master tomorrow. So what, gonna, it, what is the deploy master's um, role and responsibility? All they really are is the person who is put on the hook for making sure that everybody else's commits are all working together, that all tests are passing, mm-hmm. and that the code has been deployed to staging and is ready for that end-of-day deploy to production. It doesn't mean you can't can't deploy more often, Mm -hmm. but it means that if we do not deploy to production by end of day, we have sort of a collective team fail. Mm -hmm. It's not anyone's fault. Does he or she revert um, if something is is causing problems? 
Um, or, or how does that work? Well, <clears throat> we have a couple of different techniques. This is where a good version control system is absolutely essential mm-hmm. to any sort of development work, but even more so in the distributed team. And, and you're using Git or, or something else? Uh, we use Git on all projects, thankfully now. Um, and uh, that type of flexibility of having a combination of feature branches that people can collaborate on and controlling that merging into the master branch that is, or the deploy branch, depending on how the repository has been structured. The point being that there can only be one. Mm-hmm. One big difference between desktop software and web software is with desktop software or print drivers or operating system components, you need to have a different approach towards development than you mm-hmm. do with web-based tools and applications where you can push new code. So the way that there can only be one is sort of a, another philosophy related to this production by end of day is the master branch that actually does the thing. If it's not ready, it can't be pushed. Therefore, mm-hmm. if something is a significant feature, if there is some risk that it is going to take longer or is going to require more feedback before it can get to that point. And again, this is where the deploy master, all they're really doing is being the focal point so that they can be who people go to and say, hey, I have this code to work on this feature and I need help from this other person. That way, if I have to jump off for a couple of hours to take my kids to soccer or whatever it is that the deploy master knows, okay, I'm coming back in a couple of hours and ensures that the personal coordination, because it's not just a matter of code, it's a matter of answering questions or communicating, knowing. In this way, it's instead of having some person who's stuck with the constant administrivia of being the team slash project babysitter. Mm -hmm. Instead, we rotate this responsibility so that everybody really gets it, that this is the point. The point is production by end of day. Right. That is why we are doing this. It's not Mm -hmm. just cool, and it's not just because we like neat names for our techniques. Sure. So something I'm I'm dying to know... um, you have you have a pretty large team as as Rails um, consultancies go, at least the ones I've talked to, um, and quite distributed. Can you tell me a little bit about the history of how that came together? Oh sure. Um, the benefit of being involved in the open source community is you meet a lot of people, especially mm-hmm. when you get out to a lot of conferences and you start interacting. And you start finding that people have sort of shared problems and shared visions. You find like-minded people among your community of craft. A lot different than starting a business with your buddies. Mm -hmm. This is more friendships formed around common interests. And so we often see this in the open source world forming into people who collaborate on open source projects. And the hybrid group is really the evolution of The previous consultancy that I ran back in the uh, 2000 era bubble, we had an exact opposite philosophy as to the one that the hybrid group uses today. We were very centralized. We had large clients. Uh, The work that we did was on a pure per-project basis. Uh, We were very focused on what I consider the big two losers for early stage companies, which are offices and servers. You know, we spent a lot of money on an office mm-hmm. and uh, we had really cool furniture. Uh-huh. It was a really cool chairs. Yeah. I mean, it was really, really cool. And we couldn't get clients to come to our office. Mm-hmm. They were like, Oh kid, that's great. You got an office. Be in my <laughs> office at 9am for a meeting. <laughs> We're like, yeah, you know, please come to our office. Please, we're begging you. <laughs> You're like, they just wouldn't come. Uh-huh. I mean, like, if you had, like, a holiday party in your office, which is, you know, like, okay, we finally got people to come to the office. 
Right. It wasn't as cool as a restaurant or a bar, but I mean, as far as the locale for a party, uh-huh. but at least they came to our office, you know, and the same thing with servers, mm-hmm. you know, have two visitors a week as we do demos for prospective users. So we have this whole rack of servers because in order to build this application, I mean, there was no other way to build it. You know, servers and offices are the big losers, and it really bespeaks to this investing in infrastructure as opposed to focusing it all on people. Mm-hmm. If we had spent all that money on people, specifically, one of the big things that we consider important is reinvesting in ourselves as craftsmen and craft people, I should say, because we do have female developers. Mm-hmm. We don't care, male, female, cyborg. <laughs> irrelevant <clears throat> just like it doesn't matter where you're located you know, uh-huh. it's all about producing really remarkable results yeah. and being a really fun collaborative person to work with uh-huh. where you enjoy this kind of swarming on a problem Yeah. and so we kind of vetted our team very easily because people would come to work for us and we would just immediately put them to work on either one of these internal products or onto one of the open source projects we're doing, such as Kidsworthy. Mm-hmm. And uh, we would find out very, very quickly whether or not they really fit into doing work the same way that we do. Mm-hmm. Which is, we look at it more as a distributed type of control. We're, we're trying to push the knowledge as far as possible out to individuals. Mm-hmm and not have bottlenecks of information where you get into this whole operator game. Right. I mean, as a company, you can no longer look at, especially as a consultancy, you have to look at it like business is like the Internet. If you're not providing a valuable service, it will route around you. Yeah. So you cannot be frightened, fearful, and jealous in the way that you operate. You have to be gracious and you have to be creative mm-hmm. and you have to be unique and you're not going to do that by being fearful. So people who are afraid versus people who are genuinely enthused, mm-hmm. those are the people that we would just add to. And it's distracting in the big centers of development. If you're in Silicon Valley, if you're in New York, if you're in Chicago, if you're in Los Angeles, Los Angeles has a massive development community. Mm-hmm. And I see constant blog posts that we can't hire developers. Right. And I think that's really interesting because, you know, we've got some really excellent developers. And part of it is just the way that we approach it. We don't look at people like resources. Mm-hmm. We don't use that word. We call them people. Mm-hmm. It's a word people already know what that means. That's so innovative. Yeah, and titles. <laughs> titles are really interesting to me. I Like, you are the senior executive vice president in charge of final goal protection. Mm-hmm. What's that? I'm the goalie. Oh, right. <laughs> so, you know, we look at roles. For mm-hmm. sure, not everyone can do all things at all times. Then you end up with uh, just mush. But titles are something that you're granted by some higher authority and now you've got it, you know, you're not the Duke of Code at the hybrid group. You're just one of us coders. Mm-hmm. Now you mentioned, um, you mentioned pair programming earlier and, and, um, and when, when you, when you said something about pushing the knowledge out, that kind of, uh, reminded me of, of pair programming, um, how much of that do you do, and and what does your setup look like for doing remote pair programming? Well, remote pairing, I mean, this whole do everything all of the time, mm-hmm. test all the time, pair all the time, scream all the time. It's like, wait a minute, should we really do everything all the time? <laughs> you know, can't we? Can I can I climb down off the soapbox for a minute just to rest? my back because you know this is hard work here you know doing everything all the time yeah um at the same moment pairing is really a fantastic technique that can be done well but needing to hold hands every time you look at a piece of code seems extreme Mm -hmm. so and also we have a lot of different 
most of our people are on either Macs or, or Ubuntu. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a couple of Arch Unix and maybe have one person that sometimes uses Windows just to be a curmudgeon. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm wondering at, like at what point Windows becomes the hipster, um, the hipster platform. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, you were saying it lives in a VM on the on my machine. But uh, the idea of pairing is ultimately it's to solve a problem, and it's to have people looking at code collaboratively. And so, what, there's many different ways to achieve that. One is using things like screen sharing, and there's a variety of different techniques one can use depending on. You know, when two people are both using Vim and they're both on Unix, then VNC works really well. Mm-hmm. Other times, it's really more a matter of you just need someone to be looking it over in mm-hmm. real time. Many of our projects are now hosted on GitHub, private repositories, and mm-hmm. things like the code comments. You, you can literally use in near real time some of these web-based tools to achieve some of the same objectives that you might with pair programming hmm. because you are looking at the same code at the same time. Mm-hmm. Some online code editors as well that are somewhat interesting to take a look at. Right. Are you using any of those or are you just kind of kind of looking at them right now? We've been playing with them on specific things, uh-huh. but unfortunately there's none that is preeminent. Right. That, um, I wish there was. It'd be great. Yeah. But we also, some people are on Vim Mm-hmm. You know, we got a couple of G edit people. Mm-hmm. You know, I use TextMate because I like the pretty colors. Mm-hmm. But uh, so forcing people to use a particular editor takes away the strengths that they've evolved through their choice of tools and doesn't seem really appropriate. Right. So we tend to fall more towards pure screen sharing style pairing. You know, there may be more efficient ways to do it from the perspective of two people having a sharing pairing station sitting next to each other would be able to achieve a certain level of, dare I say it, parity. <laughs> but um, I think it works well when communicating knowledge of certain kinds. Like when pairing pairing with a client uh-huh. works really well at sharing information about here's how something works. Mm, okay. Or solving a particularly difficult problem. It'll work that is amenable to two people's knowledge coinciding. Mm-hmm. One person is especially strong at user experience. Another has a deeper knowledge about the way a particular queuing system in the application works. If mm-hmm. they get together, they can solve a problem quickly. That's, I think that pairing a lot of times has a certain connotation of this ultimate socialist, egalitarian, like Spartan, two people at random, you two are pairing, go. <laughs> right. I think that works great at a code retreat. Yeah. I think that's an amazing form of training. Right. But I'm not sure that that's the most efficient way to solve client problems. Yeah. I mean, let's not forget the mission here is not just what makes us feel good and seems cool. It's what solves problems for clients in ways that and also meaningful. Mm-hmm. So pairing is just one technique to achieving that. Sometimes just concentrating is another. Sometimes it, it pairs not enough. You need group programming. Mm-hmm. Dare I say it? Risque, perhaps. <laughs> so I don't think that you know this do anything all the time is really the way to approach solving problems. You need some adaptability to figure right. out what works, and also like um, a great example might be test-driven development. Mm-hmm. You cannot necessarily gain a tremendous benefit of doing test-driven development of an external API of a system that you do not have control over nor necessarily good visibility onto. Mm -hmm. You can, with the lessons you have learned through exploratory programming, codify tests to ensure that that interface doesn't change or if it does, that you know about it. But you cannot do pure test-driven development or test-driven design of an external interface that you don't have control over. I mean, I'm sure there are other exceptions which can be found. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian Merrick had a fantastic retweet recently of a post of a colleague which was talking about how 
Test-driven development was very much of a product of extreme programming, which was designed very much around an internal project for a payroll system with very clearly understood requirements. Right. As opposed to lean startups, which are intentionally doing experiments. Mm -hmm. They want to fail in the sense that they want to learn something valuable, and if it takes a few fails to do so, then it's well worth it. They want to experiment is the point. Mm -hmm. They want to do measurements of experiments and find out whether it makes it better or worse, which is not at all what you want to do with your payroll processing system at some company. Right. You don't want experiments with the amount of your check. You want it always the same and correct. So the philosophies that inform different kinds of development teams and projects, you have to be adaptable. Yeah. And this is something that, at the hybrid group we think a lot about is how can we adapt to the environment on which we land? Cause sometimes it's a beach landing and other times we come in by air. Right. The, in, in the vein of, of, of things people make extreme statements about, um, there's a, uh, a meme out there that says you can't do distributed agile development, you know, can't be done. What do you have to say to that? I think that the problem with these definitions of terms is you redefine them to fit the paradigm that you're trying to push. If you are an organization that has some vested interest in saying distributed teams don't work, only our magical uniformed sailors that will come and rescue your project on site could possibly work. It just reminds me again of the professional priesthood of methodologies that tell me about what can and cannot work. Mm -hmm. I think of the butterfly, or rather the bumblebee, with the impossible physics of flight. Now, that does not mean that plan on being an outlier every time. Mm -hmm. But I do not believe that you can say that something can never work like Agile development, where the definition of what is agile is so amorphous, I think you can very easily define it in a way that says this distributed team X is not agile. Therefore, Mm -hmm. all distributed teams are bad, QED. No, I think that is flawed logic. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. So um, one of the the reasons that I find a a lot of people get into remote work is um is they want to spend more time with their families with their kids um is that something you see in your group do you have a lot of family uh people with kids oh yes um particularly those who are just starting a family mm-hmm. especially many of our people in latin america you know family is really preeminent mm-hmm. we in the u.s are only just rediscovering how important family is, perhaps, and that's where this movement to find personal space within work. You know, companies that are larger and have significant investments in on-site work, you know, find it difficult to let go of that control, but when they do, they often retain and recruit better people. Mm -hmm. And family is important to even those of us who don't have kids. It's what about personal time or other interests? What about the opportunity to work out or to play music or to spend time with loved ones mm-hmm. or just to have time to reflect or develop personal skills outside of work? Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of reasons why having a distributed workforce and avoiding the commute times, being able to choose your own environment for productivity and also just feeling like you have more control mm-hmm. over your own destiny. Ultimately, right. that is what brings a group of people together. I mean, we're a group in the same sense that a band is a group. Mm-hmm. You can't force people to want to be working together. Mm-hmm. You can want to be working together, and if you have compatible reasons, they don't have to be the same reasons. One person's reasons are their kid. Another person's reason is because they really, really want to travel and they found that, you know, if they need to take a month to go on an excursion, mm-hmm. 
that they still have a way of both fulfilling their responsibilities and having some kind of lifestyle mm-hmm. that this idea that lifestyle business is a dirty word is a fabrication by power elements that want to control your philosophy. They want to control the way that you think about your work and they want to take away your power. But unfortunately the result of that is also takes away your responsibility for it. Mm -hmm. So organizations that are somewhat authoritative in this way, they wonder why aren't people being responsible for doing things? Well, it's because you're treating them like children. Sure. I would find that especially in the software development world, people really care about things working mm-hmm. more even than sometimes justified by the projects. But it's because we care about our craft again. So family time is just an aspect of that. If somebody mm-hmm. needs it, we're always ready, willing and able and clients totally understand that. And anyone who doesn't probably isn't the kind of client that is going to be compatible with our culture anyway. Mm-hmm. Now uh, we're talking about, um, about having kids and spending more time with family, uh, you are involved. Um, you and, and your company are involved in a uh, a project that's specifically or- oriented towards children. Are you not? Yes, the, we have an open source project called Kids Ruby. That it's it's a lot bigger now than just the hybrid group, but a bunch of us here have participated and collaborated on it. And the origin of it is simply enough. There's not enough programmers in the world. No, really, there's not. There have Mm -hmm. been innumerable blog posts that have come out. Red Squirrel had one from the Chicago scene saying, you can't hire a developer in Chicago. There was one recently here, you know, can't find developers in Los Angeles. The difficulty of finding developers in the Bay Area is legendary. Mm -hmm. And fundamentally, you cannot get a developer with 10 years' experience without it taking 10 years. So many of the fantastic developers that we hold up as paragons of software virtue, they have in common, they all started programming when very young. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was on Commodore 64s or TRS-80s or Apple IIs or whatever it was. But they started very, very young. And we thought about this. The problem is that there, at the same time that there's this massive demand increasing for developers, actual computer education in school is decreasing, both in the U.S. and the U.K. And most of the money that goes into computer education in schools is going into computer labs for basic computer literacy or for computer-aided instruction in other content areas. It's not going into, let's teach kids how to be programmers, right. how to be hackers. So supply is not increasing. Demand is increasing. You think, oh, this is great. Yeah, i got all these recruiters calling me. No, it's a problem. Because who's going to maintain your code in its old age? Mm-hmm. It's not sustainable. So we thought, what, what can we do about this? And there have been a number of people in the Ruby community, in particular uh, Sarah Allen and Sarah May, going back to even further why the lucky stiff with his amazing hackety-hack software. Mm -hmm. But when Y disappeared back into the magic programming world, hackety-hack started, you know, rusting. And even though Steve Klobnik and some others have been working to try to update it, it has the same problem of many of Y's projects. So we initially started just with the intention of, you know, let's teach some programming classes for kids. Mm Mm-hmm. And we forked Hackity Hack on, and Shoes on GitHub, discovered relatively quickly that, you know, we weren't crazy enough. We weren't on the same state of mind as why <laughs> at the time that we were trying to work on the code or something. Right. I don't know. That's a, the, a different, different transcendent level of consciousness. Yeah. Yeah. We weren't there yet. So, uh, we thought, well, wait a minute. What is this actually doing? Let's go back to first principles. Uh-huh. No, it's just a very, very simple editor with a button that you click on and it runs some Ruby code. Mm-hmm. So we built, starting in just a very, very short amount of time, thanks to collaborations from many people, uh, a bunch of us at the hybrid group, 
in addition, uh, Ari Lerner from AT&T, uh, Wayne Seguin from Engine Yard. I mean, I so many collaborators, I would have to look at the commit logs. But like, mm-hmm. be, this is like the Oscars. I'd be leaving dozens of people out and going all day uh-huh. because there's other people that really care about this and wanted to participate. But we basically put together a real editor for kids. It's a Ruby 1.9.2. It's based on... HTML and JavaScript for the tutorials. The editor is using CodeMirror, which is pure JavaScript. So we were trying to reduce the bar for participation for collaborators mm-hmm. because one of the problems with Hacking Hack was you had to learn a lot of very non-standard Ruby code right. to do anything meaningful to even you know change some of the tutorials. Also, the thing that we discovered with Hacking Hack was it didn't do the canonical thing you want to do as a kid when you first are playing with a programming tool, which is basically, you know, in Ruby would be 100 times do puts, you know, my dad is is dumb. Right. Or, you know, Ruby is cool or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, just that's your first goofball program that everybody first writes and if you can't do that with your kid's programming tool, then your kid's programming thing sucks. Right. I have this on good authority from kids. Like <laughs> Dad, uh-huh. this sucks. Oh, okay. How do I make it better, son? So we whipped together an editor, and we put together an installable uh, Ubuntu ISO so that you could actually just boot a distro off of a USB drive and be running kids Ruby. Uh-huh. Very much like that Commodore 64 or that TRS-80 of yore where you just turn it on instead of doing something. Uh-huh. You know, there's no IDE. It's the simplest thing that could possibly work to get you into writing some code. Mm-hmm. So we started also a little bit of a curriculum. We've been doing uh, kids' Ruby classes. We did one at LA RubyConf. We did one at Ruby on Ales. Mm-hmm. We have one coming up May 1st at Bar Camp Los Angeles. Okay. And we will also be doing one on May 16th in cooperation with RailsConf and Baltimore and Rails BoConf. That's right. I heard about that. So we'd love to bring it to a city near you or mm-hmm. help you do it, whoever you are, because it's not really about us. Mm-hmm. We're really just trying to solve that problem of in the two-hour class – you can't spend the first hour and a half installing something and then say, okay, kids, now go have fun. Mm-hmm. So getting over that initial hurdle, also something they could take with them. Having it on the USB drive, we, we also have a Windows installer working on the Mac installer. But having everything on a USB drive, because one laptop per child is very ambitious. Mm-hmm. A lot of kids, especially coming from disadvantaged communities, they don't have their own computer. Right. They have access to computers. Yeah, they yeah. Have, but they don't actually have their own. They need some mechanism that they can take their work around with them. Mm-hmm. And we took a look at doing something that was purely web-based, but we decided not to. And the reason why was the web is really great. It's really cool. But you only are able to use a website because someone else gave you permission to I yeah. didn't think that was compatible with the hacker mentality of mm-hmm. you can take some software and take a piece of hardware and make it do something that maybe the original designers didn't know it could do. Sure, yeah. Not cracking. We explained the difference very clearly mm-hmm. just because there's a lot of misunderstandings out there in the parental community when they say, we're going to teach you how to hack your homework, kids. They're right. like, hack homework? What? <laughs> like, no, we're... We're going to teach them how to write programs to help them with their homework. Yeah. But if we say that, it sounds really boring. <laughs> and this is about kids. You know, it's about toys and candy. Uh-huh. Ultimately, we want to inspire the same kind of love and excitement that we've all felt at realizing that we have a power within ourselves just through our own cleverness and through some knowledge right. to do something really cool. Mm-hmm. And so that's why we thought they need to do this on their own computers or boot into Ubuntu and turn their school computer into a kids' movie computer. Mm-hmm. They need to have that sort of power if they are going to become the true hackers of the future and not just 
software sharecroppers. Right. Well, it sounds like a really a really awesome project. I'm I'm eager to see um you know with kids of my own I'm eager to see um how it develops from here and I'm I'm actually um getting ready to start um working on it with um uh working with one of my my older kids with it. Um so very exciting stuff. Um I'm running out of time um but I want to get I want to get from you uh, an answer to the question I like to to ask everyone which is um if you had one piece of advice, you know, getting back to the the distributed team stuff, if you had one piece of advice for a a team that's getting started as a dispersed team, uh, what would it be? I would say cultivate an attitude of transparency. Do not hide away the problems that you encounter. Do not hide information from clients or from your coworkers. Hmm. Share the information. Deal with the truth. The mm-hmm. truth will set you free because you no longer have to worry about what you told who. Mm-hmm. You won't be hiding when the telephone rings from a client. Instead, you'll be embracing problems because really they're opportunities to improve. So that sort of transparency gives a confidence in yourself. The corollary of that is, of course, always be ethical. Mm-hmm. But if you're ethical and you're transparent, I would say you will go far. Okay. Uh, well, before I let you go, uh, where can people find out more about you and your projects online? The Hybrid Group is at hybridgroup.com. Mm-hmm. Our products, Kanban Pad, is at K-A-N-B-A-N-P-A-D.com, KanbanPad.com. Clutch, which is the universal project feed, is at clutchapp.com. And the Kids Ruby project can be found at kidsruby.com. There's, of course, all of the different codes on GitHub. Mm-hmm. And you are uh, dead program, dead programmer on Twitter? I am dead program on dead Twitter. Program. There is a dead programmer. He's a very nice guy, but he didn't want to give me his handle, <laughs> even though I had it first. Uh-huh. I had it first. <laughs> <laughs> I like being dead program now. After all, I'm, am I the program or the programmer? <laughs> Well, that's a deep thought to end on. Um, Ron, thank you so much for your time. Abdi, thank you, and I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Wide Teams podcast. Please visit us on the web at wideteams.com to leave feedback and enjoy more articles, screencasts, and conversations about dispersed teams. The Wide Teams podcast is a service of ShipRise LLC and is released under a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial share-alike license. Our music is by Giles Boquette. Until next time, this is Avdi Grimm signing off. Wild, 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 wild,